Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I, I want to talk to you this morning, and I, I'm not going to give you a chance to go on a breakout because you've got a lot of things that you need to do, to do today, and uh, I'm thankful that our visitors are here. Thank you for coming. Um, But I am probably going to preach uh, in a way that you're not used to having me preach. I'm probably going to be a little bit more aggressive in what I say because what I have to say this morning, uh, I feel unctionized to say, and I'm trying to make sure that my flesh doesn't get involved in this. I, I want to start with Romans, the 13th chapter. And up, I didn't give you this sister hickey on top because it came to me um, while I was sitting down here. Romans 13, uh, verse 11. And I, 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 I just read it as it is. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Church, the night is far spent. That day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The point that I want you to see is it's high time for us to shake ourselves and realize what's going on around us and to overcome the lust and the problems that we have so that we can reach out to others. You may be seated. I'm going to mention a name this morning, and it's in the news, and I bet you almost everyone here will recognize it because you probably have strong feelings concerning what's going on. This is an apostolic lady from down in Kentucky. Her name is, you probably know it, can you say it? Kim Davis. She has uh, taken a stand on her faith. Now, let me tell you, I'm not going to get political, but I have a reason for sharing what I'm saying, and I feel like God wants us, me to use this this morning. This lady came to God about four years ago. Just like you, she had a pretty messed up life when she came in. And from what I've read, she became determined to serve God with everything that she had. She had a job that she took that uh, as a clerk of the county that upheld the, the law and most of the laws were of, the, of God. But all of a sudden our nation changed the law and that was the law on, on gay marriage. And she was still in the position that she swore to uphold, but now she was asked to do something that was against a higher court. Now, I want to point this out. I don't know if you caught that. The Supreme Court is not the highest court in the land. Now, they'll try to tell us that the Supreme Court has jurisdiction over your life. Now, the Bible, and I'm going to read this in a little bit, tells us that we should obey those that have authority over us. But it also tells us that we are obligated to obey the supreme authority over and above our regular authority. In other words, if my boss asks me to commit a crime or to steal or to lie or to knock someone off so we can increase our business, of course, I'm going to say, well, no, that's, that's against the law. Well, there is a law, and she's trying to pull it. Now, I want to share just a little thought, and I'm not going to dwell on this, this story too much. There's the judge that is handling the case is, uh, his last name is Bunning. And I have a quote from the paper, and I'm going to read it verbatim, 
and then make a comment. On Thursday, Judge Benning found Miss Davis in contempt for defying the federal court and ordered her held in jail. Her good faith belief is simply not a viable defense, the judge, wearing a bow tie, said from the bench. He noted that I myself have genuinely held religious beliefs, but he added that he took an oath of office to uphold the law. Any oath that I make according to the law is broken if it contradicts God's law. I, I find it interesting that the same judge in 2003 uh, got involved in a case with a group of gays and lesbians in a public school and fought their, in their defense so that they could, commit, they could have a group meeting in the school and then on their behalf went for compensation because of their ordeal. Now, I'm just saying this. We need to realize where we are in this point of time. This is just not unique. This story is just the beginning of what's starting to happen in our culture. We need a lot of Kim Davises. Do you know on Saturday night, they had a, a meeting for her, a group meeting to support her? Do you know how many were there? 200. You know, I haven't been able to find the church. I've looked all over the internet, maybe you have, but I can't find the name of the church that she goes to. I, all I know is it's apostolic. I'm saying, where is the body of Christ in support of someone that's standing up for truth? Now, one of the things if you've went on Facebook, and I know this is going to be hard for you. To, maybe this is too carnal for you. But if you were to go on Facebook and you'd read the comments that are being posted under her name, how defamatory, deflam, is it defamatory? It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. They call her a hypocrite. They call her this, they call her that. It's called defamation of character. That's why we don't do what we know we should do. Because if I were to ask you a question today and say, how many of you in the last three weeks committed a sin that you wouldn't want anyone to know about? Some of you are about to commit one. Lying. <laughs> because we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us falls short of God's glory. You ever have an argument with somebody and you said something you didn't mean and, or you, you thought some things or you didn't, you weren't acting Christian. Do you know what happens and why God keeps you in your, in your seat? Because you realize that if you stand up, you'll have the same examination of your life that Kim is having. The devil does what? What is he? He is the accuser of the brethren. I don't know about you, but I've thought twice I'd like to go out there and, and take a sign and march down Wisconsin Avenue and say, hey, listen, this is wrong. Then I say to myself, well, what are the costs involved in that? Because the whole process of, if, of, of the devil's philosophy is the destruction of the church. But I have to remind you of an important fact, and I think Kim has realized it that I'm not standing in my own righteousness. I'm not trying to uphold God's law because I'm a, a good guy. Because I'm not. I'm, I'm human, and until I have a divine body, I'm gonna wrestle with my flesh. But the thing that makes me stand is that I stand in God's righteousness. He's perfect. He said to me, he says, if they've hated me, they're certainly going to hate you. If they've persecuted me, they're certainly going to persecute you. If they're trying to find fault in an innocent, perfect lamb and hung him on a cross for something that he didn't do, no matter what you say or how perfect you live, the devil will always try to destroy your character. He does it in your personal life. 
He tries to beat you down so that you don't stand up. Now, the verse that I was talking about being in subjection to authority is found in Romans 13. And verse 13 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be ordained are of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, the devil knows the scripture. And he'll often tell you that you need to be subject to those that are above you. Don't fight it. Let God handle it. And I've heard preachers stand up and say, you shouldn't read the newspaper, shouldn't get involved with the news. Well, how are you going to fight the devil without knowing where he's at? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do what, that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. But let me show you another scripture. In Exodus, the first chapter, verse 17, it says, But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. Now, was that a bad thing? Well, if we got a young child born called Moses that was spared by the midwives because they disobeyed God. Or not God, they disobeyed Pharaoh's command. How about Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 29? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, don't misunderstand the concept that I'm presenting to you. We must follow man as they follow God. Our law enforcement, for instance, we follow the laws of our land, and we're obligated to do that. But when a law or a decree comes down that violates God's law, we are obligated to obey that law above the law of the land. Where's, have you wondered why is it so crazy outside uh, now in the world? It seems like every day that it gets crazier and loonier. We had a, uh, something happen in Madison the other day where some people, uh, an officer was called to a domestic uh, dispute thing and a group of people in the neighborhood gathered around them and these cops, this officer, one officer, two officers, and started to interfere saying, we should fry cops like we fry bacon. They weren't even involved. But see, there's a challenge by the world to God's authority, to any authority. But when Christians try to obey God's authority, they're ridiculed. Because Romans 1.21 seems to give us some insight as to what's happening in the world. For although they knew God, they glorified him as God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now notice this thought, and I, I hope I'm not getting too political. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. What does that mean? God gave them over to that. You ever have a child that said, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and, and I'm, I want to play near the stove and I want, to, I want to climb on top of the counter and stand on the, on the hot wood stove and you keep telling them no and no and finally you say, go ahead. I turn you over to your own desire. Whose fault is the burn? It's, it's the child's because he was warned over and over again. God has come over the decades and years and years commanded man on what he expected of him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Follow me. The works that I do, you do the same thing. 
duplicate your life like my life. But man says, no, I want to duplicate myself in an image that I want it to be. And over and over again, as you resist God, God will eventually come into a, a place where he will allow you to do those things that you're doing and your conscience will be seared and it won't even bother you. You know, in, in the Old Testament, we're dealing with Pharaoh. God has given Moses the, the command to tell him that he should release God's people from slavery. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells him, God said to let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who's God that I should obey him? What's his name? And he disobeyed him once and twice, three times. Each time the plague that God sent was stronger than the one before. And it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, some people say, well, that's not fair of God to do that because if God is hardening his heart, he's taking away the ability from him to receive truth or obedience. He hardened his heart. Well, that's not fair. No, what the scripture is insinuating, every time that you disobey God, just like your fingers develop calluses and they become less sensitive, every time you disobey God, your heart becomes harder. His heart was hardened because of God. Because it's the disobedience of God. And as people in the world continue to sin and not turn to God, pretty soon right becomes wrong. And wrong becomes right. And white becomes black. And black becomes white. And evil becomes good. And good becomes evil. We, they didn't despise Christ for his good works. They despised him because he, being a man, made himself God or put himself in a place of authority. And men or humanity have an authority problem. I, I, I have to share a thought. It just came to my mind. I hope it's, I hope it's appropriate. But I have been at my job now for 11 years at, my, at the hospital of pro-health. And I've done teaching, especially in the senior community, I do a lot of teaching. I teach maybe four or five classes a day. And we have had such, some such, so spirit-filled classes where I've had tears run down my face because I could feel the presence of God and I've went over some of these things and they're open to me because they've known me for years. I can really speak my mind and because they know I love them. And I can tell them the truth over and over again and I can go back to the word of God. But at the end of the class, I can ask them, well, what did you learn? And it just goes past I was a little rambunctious. You know me a little bit, and the Irish got up, and that's what people use to justify their actions, their person. You know, they're, I'm Irish, so I can do whatever I want. You're Polish, you can be whatever you want to. And, but I was thinking one day, and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask them this question. And matter of fact, I've asked pastors this question. I say, okay, everyone, I have a question to ask you. How many of you have been Christians a long time? Yes, we've been Christian a long time. I says, what's the name of God? What's the name of the God you serve? And I can't get it. I said, hold on a second. You're, how long have you been Christians? And I, I asked the pastor, and he said, well, it's, it's Father. I said, no, no, I, I said the name. What's, what's the name that is above every other name what is the name that sets people free from demonic abuse and captivity? What's the name that has power to remit your sins? What is the name or the banner that the church holds when it goes forth into battle? And they don't even know the name because they don't want to offend the other two. If I say Jesus, well, what about the Holy Spirit? And what about the Father? And you can sit down and you can say, it's not complicated. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to understand the Godhead. 
God's essence is spirit. Colossians says that essence of God was placed in a body, a human body, born of Mary, and it became the Son of God. But remember, God is not flesh and blood. God, in his essence, is a spirit. He fills all space. He's omniscient and omnipresent. He's everywhere. Then that body became the Lamb of God, and it became a propitiation for our sin. And it, it died on a cross, and the blood was shed to be a final sacrifice for all mankind who would take part of it. And then that body that had the Spirit said, you know, I, this is going to be different. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. We read John 14 today. But I'm going to come unto you. At that day, after my resurrection, after my ascension, you're going to find something else that you've never found before. At that day, I am going to be in the Father, as the Father is in me, but I'm also going to be in you. I am going to be in you. Not three, one spirit dwelling in you. It's Christ in me. The same spirit that was in Christ is in me. That's why I can do the works of Christ. The works that he did, I can do because I have the same spirit. And you know, the devil doesn't have a problem with people even receiving the Holy Ghost. He doesn't like it. But as long as they don't know the name or identify with the name, they are still not legally adopted into the family of God. Yeah. This is a legal, when you're born again, this, this is a legal action in heaven. When you're baptized in the water in Jesus' name, you're identifying with, a, with God, with the Son of God, saying that I am willing to identify with his death so that I can also identify with his resurrection. I identify through his name because the Bible said, you know what, guys, whatever you do, whatever transactions you make in the spiritual realm, you have to do it with authority. I can't go into the bank and draw money from Brother Brown's account because I don't have authority to do that. Now, if, I, if he adopted me, yeah. I'm not going to go there. I could go in and say, my name is Stephen Brown. I'd like to withdraw all the money. <laughs> but if I had the name, I'd have the authority. And I think it's time for the church, the true church that really does have the authority. We have to get up like Kim Davis. And we're going to be challenged. I was sitting here thinking, thinking this morning and of of our outreaches that we had in the past about cell group meetings. And I thought, um, I think it was just before it's time. It didn't succeed the way we wanted it to because it, it happened before it's time. Do you know what they said about Kim Davis? They said, well, if jail doesn't work, we'll hit her in the pocketbook. And maybe that's why I don't see any evidence of the church because we're so afraid that the IRS or lawsuits, you know what a lawsuit is? All you have to do is turn your TV on and there's people wanting to sue everybody at any time for anything for any purpose. Just call 1-800-WE'LL-SUE. We're, and it intimidates us because we've worked hard for everything that we've got. And we say to ourselves, if I don't do anything, maybe I can keep what I've got. But you know what? You can keep what you've got, but you can lose everything.
Ephesians, the fourth chapter, says in verse 17, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know what? You can argue with these people until the cows come home. But because their hearts are hearkened, hardened, and they have chosen to live in ignorance, you're talking to deaf ears. They have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Wow, that's what you're dealing with. It's, it's like a little joke that my brother told. He tells them from up here, so I guess I can. Like, how many apostolics does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. <laughs> Sorry. But the, the point of that joke is, people really have to want to change. The Bible says to avoid vain disputations because they serve no purpose. Colossians, Paul speaks back and he says, this includes you who were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated, him, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You who were not a people have now become the people of God. Through the blessing of God, you were delivered from the ignorance of your sin. And your eyes were opened, opened and you began to see and understand that which you did not see before. Will those people ever see? You know, I, I think one day, I, I sometimes say to myself, how many times do I tell them? And why am I telling them? Because I love them. There's a situation where one of them is near death on hospice and passing away. And they've told me, I feel so scared. I feel so uncomfortable. I feel like God doesn't love me. And it is hard because I love them so much, yet they can't seem to understand, even though they've been told over and over again. You should thank God every day that your eyes were opened and that you were able to see that God granted you sight. 2 Timothy 3 says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasure, pleasure rather than God. Then notice this last one. They will act religious. Judge said, you know, I got convictions. I, I have a relationship with God. But they will reject the power, which would mean the authority, that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You know why? Because you may catch the same leprous disease that they have if you constantly hang out with them. I remember um, when we were in, at Parkway, Ida, I'm not going to tell you his name, he came into the church about the same time I did, and he felt that God had given him, he was an alcoholic, 
and God delivered him, and he thought that he had a ministry, and his ministry was he was going to go into the bars and sit down next to people that were drinking and tell them how he's delivered from alcohol. He, and I, we would told him, he says, no, don't go near the stuff. You're, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to fall. But he wouldn't listen because he felt that he knew better than anybody else, that he could play with sin and, oh, and still not get bit by the snake of sin. I don't need to tell you what happened. Do not go near evil. Avoid the very presence of evil because you could fall. But then again, stand up, gird up your loins for truth. Don't become artificial. And I, I, I feel that God is really telling the message here today is it's high time for us to realize who we are, the power that we've got, and it's time for us to stand up and speak when we've been silent, regardless of what it might cost us. Because I want to tell you, I'd rather have lose it by exhibiting my faith in God than lose it later and not have done it what I should have done. And then I have two examples that I want to close with this morning. John, the fifth chapter, verse 5 through verse 16. A certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Will thou be made whole? I, you know what's really interesting about the story? The man's laying there. He didn't ask to be healed. It, this was a miracle that was on petition for. He said, would you be made whole? The impotent man answered and said, sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Now, he has the ability to move, right? He says, as I'm coming... Someone always beats me there. But he's looking for someone to put him in. You know, some of us are waiting for God to just pick us up and put us in a pool of deliverance. We should just be trying a little bit harder to get to the place where we can be delivered. The church is the place of deliverance, one of the places of deliverance. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Hey, I'm reading in the story, uh-oh, this man's a religious man. Uh-oh, if I pick up my bed, this is a Sabbath day, I'm going to get into trouble. But if I, I stay here, I don't want to lay in my bed. It says, immediately the man made, was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. He took off. He was so much in a hurry and so concerned that someone would see him carrying his bed that he never even stopped to thank Jesus for his deliverance. Maybe he felt it was owed to him. Maybe he felt all the years of his waiting entitled him just to take what he got and never show any gratitude to God at all. Now the Jews therefore said on him that was cured, it's a Sabbath day, it's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Now these are the religious leaders. They're not concerned about this man's welfare, that he's well. No one said, oh wait, great. How many years were you there? Eight years you laid there, and now you're, you're walking? How did that happen? They were more concerned about the law that they'd created. He answered them and said, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then they asked, then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? Which man violated the law that we created? It seems to me that Jesus violated the law. To benefit a man. Doesn't that seem that way? Wasn't there a law about carrying your bed? They made up a law? And he that was healed wist not who it was. He didn't know who it was that healed him. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, 
Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Now notice the gratefulness of this man. He loved men more than he loved God. The man departed, and then he went right to the Jews and told them that it was Jesus which had made him whole because he wanted the respect of men more than that of God. And he had been warned of God not to do that. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. They sought to kill Christ because he violated their law. Does that sound like a story I just read? Do you know what Jesus said? You hypocrites, you whited sepulchers, not one of you priests would not stop to pick out a, an ox that fell into the hole on a Sabbath day because it's got value to you. That ox represents money, and you don't want it to lose money. But when it comes to a human soul, to a human being, you won't even lift one finger to help them on the Sabbath day. But you will for that which is in your pocketbook. Now let's look at another example, and this will be my last example. John 9. This story is completely opposite of the first story, and this is the person that I want to be. And as Jesus passed by in verse 1, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Lord, who did, this, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I look at that scripture sometimes myself. Many of the things that I go through that I suffer are so that the works of God can be manifested through me to others to show God's power. Think about what I just said. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seen. Now notice this man himself had to obey Christ's command. I wonder if this falls in the category of works or grace. Or maybe this falls into his faith brought forth his works, which brought forth his healing. I think the latter, to be honest. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not, is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. But he said unto them, I'm he. Therefore they said unto him, how are your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man, he knows the name. The other one didn't know the name. But he accepted what God gave him. We're the church of the name because we know who's delivered us. A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said unto him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him to the Pharisees that aforetime. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Oh, come on, Lord. Why are you doing it? You keep breaking the law. Couldn't you wait till Monday? You're, you're stirring everybody up. He could have waited. Why did Jesus do it on the Sabbath? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. My God is the highest authority. There's none above him. I don't care what judge, what king, what president, what emperor. Everyone will knee, bow their knee and acknowledge his authority because there's none above him. That's the one I serve. 
And if you can remember that you need not fear the justice, he can only hurt you for a moment, but fear him that has the power to cast your soul into hell. He told me, now let's go back to Kim. The Bible says, if you deny me, I'll deny you. And I deny him when I do that which I shouldn't do, knowing that I shouldn't do it. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and I did see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. This is probably... This, this man is probably going to be a, a perfect example of what a Christian should be. He doesn't follow our orders. That's what I'm reading in the paper. This woman is a hypocrite because she doesn't follow the law of the land. He doesn't fulfill our interpretation of the Sabbath. So if he doesn't agree with what we're saying, he's not of God. They added their own ideas to the Sabbath to exclude kindness, to exclude charity. Even though they did not keep the Sabbath themselves, they preached that others should. Now notice the persecution this young man goes through. How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. They said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him? that he hath opened thine eyes. He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How doth he now see? His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But notice, here's a type of the complacent church. This, these parents do what we often do. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. How many other of the county clerks in Kentucky stood up with this one, even though they had the same convictions? Only one stood up. Why didn't they stand up? Because they didn't want to pay the price of getting kicked out of the synagogue. That's exactly what would have happened to the appearance of this young man if they would have stood with him. They weren't willing to pay the price. Are you willing to pay the price for your faith? These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he's of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise, we know, not, we know that this man is a sinner, because he doesn't follow what we're teaching. If man doesn't agree with God, God must be at fault. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I know not, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, I now see. Then they said to him again, Where did he, what did he do to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I've already told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you not, you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto him, Why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. You know, I'm thinking about Kim as I'm reading this. They're not so much interested in the miracle of her conversion. Four years earlier, she was a completely different person. No one's concerned about what happened in her life that gave her morals and integrity and how she changed. They weren't interested in this man's sight. They were more interested in control. 
Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Sad story? No, not at all. Because look what happens next. When you stand up for Christ and you suffer loss, it said Jesus <coughs> heard that they cast him out. <coughs> and when he found him, he saith unto him, Dost thou believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I must, might believe in him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with, with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Who won out in that? And Jesus said, For judgment I come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. And I'm going to close with this. When you stand for truth, even though it costs you your reputation and you're driven out of the circle of friends that you might have for your faith, Jesus will always find a way to get to you and give you added revelation of who he is. Show me, Lord, who you are. And Jesus said to him that he didn't say it to a lot of people in his ministry. He said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Lord. I'm the incarnate God. And he worshipped him. Not only did he receive his physical sight, but because he stood faithful in what God had did in his life, God gave him spiritual sight. Let's stand together. <clears throat> One of the things that the devil is going to do to discourage you in your walk for God is he's going to constantly bring up things in your, from your past. He's going to tell you that you're not worthy, that you can't pay the cost. But I want to tell you, if you don't stand for something, you'll agree with anything. Have you ever been in a place where you had a friend and you... Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I was brought before an employer one time. And actually, the human resource lady was there. And there was a manager that was really giving. She didn't like me. And she was trying to get rid of me for some things that I really wasn't guilty of. And here was my director, who was a friend of mine, that knew everything that was going on. And she could have stood up and said the truth. All she would have had to have done is just said, Steve is right. This is what we'd agreed on. But she never said anything. She was afraid because public opinion was being promoted by this manager that she didn't want to put her own job in jeopardy. And I felt so bad. I thought, I thought you were my friend. All you have to do is tell the truth, tell them what happened. But they realized that if they did that, they would have to take a side which might cause them so late in their, their job occupation might jeopardize them. How does God feel when all I have to do is stand up and just acknowledge something that has happened in my life? I don't have to be a th theologian. All I need to do is say, look what God did for me. I was blind. I see. I don't, don't ask me to explain. I really don't need to explain. Look at me. Look what God has done. Oh, but Brother Kylie, you've got faults. You've let God down. You don't deserve anything from God. In, in a sense, you're right. But you're not seeing me. Let me hold up the mirror so you can see the real Steve Kylie. I'm not standing with my own clothes on this morning. 
I put these on. They're, they're humanity. They come from the world. But I'm standing here today clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because I have pleaded the blood of Christ upon my life. And I'm covered over with the precious blood of Jesus. And he lives in me. So devil, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm also a saint through Christ. You need to open up your mouth. You need to take authority. If you're living in poverty, why don't you go to the bank of heaven and start cashing checks? I'm a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy, rolling, born-again, heaven-bound believer, and I'm on my way to heaven! And Jesus, I want you to reveal to us today the power we have over Satan and those that stand against us. They may come against us, but they will not destroy us. For greater is he that's in you this morning than he that's outside these walls and in your life. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Lord, and I thank you for this day. I open up this altar this morning, Lord, and I pray that when we are brought to a place to testify for you, that we will have the courage to stand up like Kim stood up, Lord. And I pray for her, Lord. I pray for that church down in Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.